You know, this morning the title of my sermon is Enjoy the Fire. And my text is the book James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And you'll find that text and the outline for your easy reference printed in a sermon insert in your bulletin. Follow me as I read our text, James 1, verses 2 to 4 this morning. Puts us in mind of what we're going to be speaking about. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen? Pray with me as I turn to Psalm 1914 to ask God's anointing on these my words, but his thoughts. Dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen? You know, I read one of the most interesting descriptions of an experience that every person has had in the history of the human race. And I want you to see if you can find yourself in this description. Listen. Your world is safe, secure. You're bathed daily in warm liquid, cushioned from shock. You do nothing for yourselves. You are fed automatically, and you know that someone other than you supplies your every need. Your life consists of simply waiting You're not sure what you're waiting for, but any change seems to be so far away. You meet no sharp objects, no pain, no threatening adventures, very fine existence. One day, you feel a tug. The walls are falling in on you. Those soft cushions are now pulsating and beating against you, crushing you downward. Your body is bent, your limbs twisted and wrenched. You're falling upside down. For the first time in your life, you feel pain. You are in a sea of roiling matter. There's more pressure, almost too intense to hear, to bear. Your head is squeezed flat, and you are pushed harder and harder into a dark tunnel. Oh, the pain. More pressure. You heard all over, it's happening, your world is collapsing, you're sure it's the end. You see a piercing, blinding light. Cold, rough hands pull at you, a painful slap. Wah! Congratulations, you've just been born. Your birth was filled with trials. You went through a trial coming into this world, and your mother went through a trial bringing you into this world. And I share this to illustrate a truth. From the time you are born to the time you die, you walk in a world whose highways are littered with the potholes of troubles, trials, tragedies, and tribulations. As a matter of fact, there are only three kinds of people in the world today. There are people who are in the middle of a trial, people who are just coming out of a trial, and people who are about to go into a trial. You know, the Lord Jesus did not escape trials when he was here, and we will not either. 
The fact is, God did not send Jesus into the world to get us out of trouble, but to get into trouble with us. This morning in this wonderful passage of Scripture, there are three tremendous truths that will help you to pass the test of trials that will surely come your way. First, in your outline, rejoice in the midst of trials. Our text, verse 2, states, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. There is an encyclopedia of truth about trials and tribulations in this single sentence. First, consider the reality of trials. Notice that James says, We are to count it all joy when... Not if, when we fall into various trials. And if you want to know where you're headed, well, you are headed for trouble, and trouble is headed for you. The Bible says in Job 5.7, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. You are surely as weeds grow in gardens and thorns grow on bushes, you are going to have trouble. Most of us have learned already that being a Christian does not exempt you from trouble. Christians get cancer just like non-Christians. Christians have heart attacks just like non-Christians. Christians lose loved ones just like non-Christians. Christians are killed by drunk drivers just like non-Christians. Christians die in wars just like non-Christians. There is a heresy being perpetuated through the preaching today that says that once you become a Christian, it's all honey and roses. Prosperity, name it and claim it. What? You didn't get healed? Not enough faith. The truth of the matter is, the better the Christian you are, the more severe the trials you may have encounter. Second Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Some of the godliest and greatest people in the Bible faced the worst trouble. Job was a blameless, upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. Yet in one day, Job lost everything from family to finances to fortune to fitness to friends. Daniel was a man totally committed to God who prayed three times a day to the Lord and all he got for his praying was a free trip to the lion's den. Joseph was a man of unquestioned integrity, decency, loyalty, and purity who was thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit. You know, the greatest Christian in the New Testament and in all of history, in my opinion, was the Apostle Paul. Listen to how Paul described some of the things he went through just because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 27 he states, From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And you think you have troubles? 
You think you have problems? You know, sometimes we think that when we are living godly, that it is strange when we go through trouble. You shouldn't think it's strange if you go through trouble when you're living for the Lord. You ought to think it's strange if you don't. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. The fact is, troubles and trials for us are simply unavoidable. But trials are not only unavoidable, they are unpredictable. See, our text says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The word for fall into is used very rarely in the New Testament. One place that it is used is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you remember, we're told that as he was walking along the road from Jerusalem, he fell among thieves. He wasn't looking for thieves. He wasn't wanting to be robbed. On the contrary, those thieves were waiting and hiding, and they ambushed him. That's the way trouble comes into our lives. We rarely ever see trouble coming. Trouble hides behind the bushes of busyness, and it conceals itself in shadows of success. And just when you least expect it, wham, it knocks you on your face before you know what's hit you. Such is the reality of trials. Then consider the diversity of trials. James says, still with verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. From the Greek word for various, we get the English word polka dotted. That is, life is dotted with trials. They're everywhere, from little irritations to great tragedies. The word also means multicolored. Trials come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. Sometimes it comes in the burning red of affliction, other times in the deep blue of depression, at times in the dark blacks of sorrow, or in the pale yellow of sickness. There are physical trials, financial trials, psychological trials, spiritual trials, I may not go through the same trials you go through. You may not go through the same trials I go through, but we will all encounter trials. Third, consider the vitality of trials. Now, as strange as it may sound, according to James, there is something about trials and troubles that should stimulate joy in your heart. He says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I know that sounds strange, but don't get the wrong idea. James was not some sadomasochist who delighted in self-flagellation. He was not saying that you ought to enjoy trials or that trials are a joy. He knew, as Hebrews 12.11 states, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nor was James saying, keep a stiff upper lip. Or just grin and bear it. As a matter of fact, he's not the only one who spoke this way. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Peter gave the answer. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13. Beloved, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Here's the answer. 
But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. But then that raises the big question. How can I rejoice and have joy in the middle of trouble? How can we count it all joy? Well, the word for counted is a word that literally means to lead ahead or to lead with the mind. We would say today to think ahead. You see, the key is not to to focus on the trouble, but to focus on the Lord and to focus on what he's going to do in our lives. For example, Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Now, it was not the cross that brought joy to the Lord. It was the crown and the converts. Jesus looked ahead of the cross and he saw the lives that would be changed, the marriages that would be saved, the churches that would be built, the sermons that would be preached, and the Father that would be glorified. And he was filled with joy. You see, when you are on trial, lead with your mind, not with your feelings. Now, why is that so important? Because it is with the mind that you can know certain things. That's where the next verse comes in. Because it even begins with the word knowing, which gives us a clue to the second principle that will strengthen you when you are in the middle of a trial. So in your outline, remember the meaning of trials. You know, there's a lot of things that you may not know or understand about the trial that you're going through. But there is one thing that you can know. Verse 3 states, You can know that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word for testing here is a word that refers to a young bird that would test its wings. It means to prove whether or not something is the real thing or to test it to see whether or not a thing is ready to perform the function for which it was made. It's also a word that refers to the refining of gold. And gold, as you know, is sent through scorching fire. And now the gold has nothing to fear from the fire. The fire simply burns off all the impurities and all the dross. It is not coincidental that we read a moment ago that Peter referred to trials as fiery trials because a trial really is when the heat is on. Listen, trials and troubles are tests of the toughness of our faith. When we went through school, we were all given tests. Now, the purpose of the test was twofold, to measure the strength of your knowledge or to measure the weakness of your knowledge. Unlike a trial, or like a trial, either the strength of your faith or the weakness of your faith is tested. Now, you may think, because you come to church every Sunday, sing praises, give money, take notes, and walk piously, that your faith is strong. But only trouble will tell. You see, faith not only must stand the test of time, it must stand the test of trouble. Have you ever noticed how so often when people go through trials or trouble, the first thing they do, instead of drawing near to God in his church, they drop out. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now the truth of that verse can be paraphrased this way. If your faith fails you when trouble comes, 
your faith was weak. Listen. You may not know the why of troubles, of trials, because many times there is no rhyme or reason. You may not know the where of trials. They can happen any place. You may not know the when of trials, because they can happen any time. But you can always know the what of trials. Every trial is a test and is made up of two questions. Every time trouble comes into your life, you need to remember that God is asking you two questions. Do you trust me? And two, how much? And you well know the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God. Therefore, the stronger the faith, the greater the pleasure it brings to him. So God is obviously in the faith-growing business, which leads to the third principle. In your outline, realize the ministry of trials. When you exercise your faith and trust God in the middle of a trial, it sets off a chain reaction in your life. And that can build within you faith, character, and strength. Because every trial has a threefold ministry. First, the ministry of enhancement. Remembering that every trial is a test. We are told in verse 3, the testing of your faith produces patience. The word here for patience would be better translated endurance. For it literally means to bear up or to stand up under. You may not understand the trials, but you are to stand under trials. You know, this saying is really true, that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Jerry Falwell had said, you can tell a great Christian by what it takes to stop him. You know, God is wanting to produce in us perseverance, staying power, and strength for the journey. You know, a perfect illustration of that is the oyster and its pearl. Did you know that pearls are the product of pain? For some annoying reason, the, the shell of the oyster gets pierced, and an alien substance, a grain of sand, slips inside. And immediately the sensitive body of that oyster goes to work releasing healing fluids that otherwise would have remained dormant. That irritant, that grain of sand is covered and the wound is healed by a pearl. No other jewel has so fascinating a history. It is the symbol of stress or the symbol of a healed wound. A precious tiny jewel conceived through irritation, born of adversity, nourished by adjustments. No wounding, no irritation, no covering, no pearl. No wonder our heavenly home has as its entrance pearly gates. People who go through those gates are the ones who have been wounded, bruised, battered, but have responded to the sting of trials with the pearl of of perseverance. Secondly, the ministry of enlargement. God did not stop with patience. James says in verse 4, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. The word perfect does not mean sinless. It means mature. It refers to growth. For example, 
An oak tree is the perfection of an acorn. Listen to this short poem. So when you're feeling discouraged and feeling a little blue, just take a look at a mighty oak and see what a nut can do. God is in the Christian growing business. Whatever comes into your life, good or bad, poverty or prosperity, triumph or tragedy, it is for the purpose of growing you and maturing you in your faith and in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, the ministry of enrichment. Finally, trials come that you may have, verse 4, complete, lacking nothing. That really sums up the purpose, the purpose of trials. Listen, a suffering, crippled woman came to her pastor, trembling and weeping, and said, Why has God made me like this? He wisely replied, God has not made you. He is making you. Our loving Father is the master craftsman. We are the raw materials. Trouble and trials are the tools. Character is the product. You remember that. And the next time the heat is on, you can enjoy the fire. Amen? Kate has a closing song. Listen up, and I'll be back. Problems arise in your life that the Lord is sending your way. You have nothing to learn on. And the reason you eventually learn to trust in Jesus, because your walk becomes more mature. You become more mature in the faith. And that's because you're withstanding these trials. And the more intensity, the, more you, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more Christ-like you are, the more intense the trials are to make you even more But the good of it is this, that you have learned to trust in God. It's the kind of thing that when we were young, it took very little to throw us off path. I mean, I can't take this. But now we see our kids and our grandkids doing that. But we have learned to trust in Jesus. We have learned through it all. So somehow we've got to communicate with our children that all the junk that they're going through, all the trials and the tribulations, all the downs and all the defeats, that God has a purpose and he loves them so much that they're going to learn to trust in Jesus and that's what it's all about. See, our kids don't get it because we didn't get it. We still don't have it. There's still a lot more coming. But our kids have to know that they're getting a lot of stuff thrown in their face, a lot of obstacles thrown in their face. It's time to be joyful because they can see the end is that Jesus can be trusted and Jesus loves them. They have to understand that. That's what we had to understand. They will too. So this morning when, you, when we leave here, keep that in mind. Remember that the joy that you should have and you will have, is because you've come to a realization that God, Jesus, loves you so much that he's making you what he wants you to be. And what better security is that to be where he wants you to be? So when you leave, take the gospel, of which this is a part of, and take it to your family, to your children, to your grandkids, to your neighbors, and proclaim it. Proclaim it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, because we serve the one true God. Amen? Amen. Have a great day.